Welcome to the AFP Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Friday, December 8th, 2023. The AFP Report is a podcast series where I will be interviewing reporters and contributors to American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, as well as other special guests. Please consider subscribing to the newspaper if you are not already. Subscription details can be found at AmericanFreePress.net. And today I am joined once again by James Edwards, host of the Political Cesspool radio program and a regular contributor to American Free Press. All right, James Edwards, welcome back to the program, sir. How are you today? I'm doing fine, John. It's great to talk to you. And if I don't get a chance, then I probably won't uh, get another chance to talk to to, uh, the uh, this particular audience before Christmas, so I want to wish you and them a very Merry Christmas, coming up on a very special time of year, of course. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that, and Merry Christmas to all of our listeners out there, and Merry Early Christmas. I also wanted to say Happy Thanksgiving as well. That holiday just wrapped up a couple weeks ago, and I know we haven't spoken really since then, so hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hope all of our listeners and subscribers had a great Thanksgiving, and I'm glad that we were able to get this scheduled. It's been a, a few months since we've done a podcast together. You are, of course, the host of The Political Cesspool, which is a weekly national talk radio program that is broadcast on the Liberty News Radio Network. Your website is thepoliticalcesspool.org. Uh, Liberty News Radio Network, that's actually owned and operated by our now, now mutual friend, Sam Bushman. Sam joined me for a podcast back in October, and we had a piece about the Liberty News Radio Network and Sam's battles against the Southern Poverty Law Center and some of these other far-left subversive organizations, and he's really quite an impressive guy, a great guy, a true American patriot. So I wanted to mention that right off the bat. Um, I do tune into the political cesspool pretty much every weekend. I download it. Um, I download the podcast. I, I very rarely get to listen live. But what, you broadcast 6 to 9 p.m. Saturday evenings, right? That's right. We put it up on the website 6 to 9 because we are central time. I guess that would be most uh, broadcasts posted as 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. But every Saturday Night Live, we give a new uh, a new meeting to Saturday Night Live there at uh, the Political Cesspool. And you're right, Sam Bushman owns the network that syndicates us. He's just a great guy. I've been with him for uh, since 2009, I believe. Uh, we went on the air in 2004 and got picked up by his network in 2009. And uh, he's just rock solid, as are you, John. So to be able to work with him and with the American Free Press is a real honor. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. appreciate the, uh, the kind words, of course. Um, and I was going to mention that. Yeah, you've been a regular columnist for American Free Press for the past few months now. Uh, American Free Press really is America's last real newspaper, and we actually just wrapped up issue 49 and 50. Uh, That issue just went to the printer today, actually, and it's going to be mailed out to all of our subscribers beginning next week. Usually it starts getting mailed out on Monday or Tuesday, so be on the lookout for that. Um, I would like to encourage all of our listeners to consider subscribing to the newspaper today if you are not already. All of those details can be found at our website, which is AmericanFreePress.net. Or feel free to call us toll-free Monday through Thursday between the hours of 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And that number is 1-888-699-NEWS. That's 1-888-699-NEWS. I very rarely mention that number, but that is also an, an easy and quick way to pick up a pick up a subscription or to order a book or if you have any questions or whatever you can always give us a call between the hours of 8 a.m. 
and 4 p.m. Eastern time. And of course, like I said, the website is AmericanFreePress.net. And I hope those of you out there listening that are not subscribing, go out and pick up a copy of the newspaper. Get a, Pick up a subscription, I should say. It's a great newspaper. Uh, it's not easy maintaining a print publication these days. As James, I'm sure you know, all of our listeners know, it's uh, something that even most of these you know, big corporate outlets can't even maintain. So um, consider getting a subscription if you're not in support of our work. So, um, well, I'd just like to say very quickly, yeah. Josh, oh, yeah, go ahead. transition. No, it is, it is fantastic. I mean, I'm not playing, the, not trying to be a homer here, although I have had the honor of being able to, uh, uh submit a regular feature since, uh, back for every issue going back to June now. We're doing some Q&A nows, which I, I think are, you know, very interesting with interesting people and gives a little, uh, if I may use this word diversity to the, uh, uh, to the standard fare there at AFP, but the, the American Free Press really does package the steak with the sizzle. It is a very, and I'm talking about obviously great content, uh, but it's presented very well too. Very sharp layout, uh, very sharp graphics and colors. Um, surely no yeah. one listening right now is not a subscriber, but if you are not, AmericanFreePress.net, you can take care of that. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I totally agree. It's a very, very uh, professionally done newspaper, very laid out very well, as you said. Lots of good hard-hitting articles, articles that you're not going to see printed anywhere. I mean, let's be serious. Um, we've got a, a great stable of writers, including yourself. And, yeah, we will talk about some of the Q&As you've done. I want to get into that as we proceed sure. here. Yeah, uh, those have been uh, a, a good addition to the paper, I think. Something that, from the sounds of it, um, they used to do written Q&As like this pretty regularly. It was like a regular feature of the newspaper um, going back to like the early 2000s and, and even back when it was the spotlight. Uh, so I'm glad that we're able to kind of pick that tradition up. And it's a good way of of communicating information, of really getting into uh, some important topics with some very, very um, notable individuals, as you know, as we'll talk about as we proceed here. Sure. But anyways, the newspaper is is excellent. It's uh, very professionally done. So, yeah, go out, pick up a pick up subscription if you've never subscribed or if you're, um, you know, if you, ha you know, if you don't have a subscription, I, I would highly recommend it. Um, but James, we have a lot to talk about today. There's a, a, all sorts of issues that we could get into, and of course, I want to talk about some of the articles in this issue of the of the paper and in and, and your article as well. Um, so let's just jump right into it. I mean, I want to start off by discussing the front page story for this most recent issue of the paper. Again, that's issue 49 and 50. Geez, we're about to wrap up another year. Next next issue, yeah. issue 51 and 52 is going to be the final issue of 2023. Um, the front page article is titled America or Israel First, GOP Rep Massey Vilified for Supporting America Over Israel. And the article deals with the controversy sparked by Representative Thomas Massey. He's a Republican from Kentucky, quite a populist, quite an America First style patriot who has been unafraid to challenge, openly challenge the Israel lobby, which is something you just simply do not see in American politics. He posted a meme on his official X page, which of course is Twitter. I, it's so funny, like referring to it as X now. I, I, I don't know why they changed the name <laughs> like that. It's, it's so silly. But anyways, basically his Twitter page, criticizing Congress members for enthusiastically embracing Zionism, like Jewish nationalism, and, you know, enthusiastically embracing and advancing the interests of Israel while shunning American patriotism and the interests of the American people. I will have that uh, that that um, X post 
embedded in the, you know, when I post this podcast. If anybody missed it, I'm sure most listeners, I would assume, at least heard about it. If, if you haven't seen it, it's a pretty simple meme and it's very, very accurate. <laughs> and it was pretty, uh, a pretty bold thing for Representative Massey to post. Let me just briefly read from the article and then, James, I want to get your take. And um, this article, actually, I, I wrote for the paper and it says here, it's a question more and more Americans are asking these days. Whom do Congress and the federal government represent first, the United States or Israel, whose interests are a priority for members of Congress, those of the American people or those of a tiny foreign nation 7,000 miles away? The answer, in almost every case, Congress places the interests of Israel and international Zionism ahead of the American people. Every year, billions of dollars are sent to Israel while the issues most Americans care about, border security, health care, education, infrastructure, low taxes, safe streets, are neglected and ignored. But the vast majority of members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans alike, fully endorse Zionism and the state of Israel, while shunning American patriotism and the interests of the American people. This is particularly true when it comes to the current war in the Middle East and America's unwavering support for the Zionist state. Recently, Representative Thomas Massey, a Republican from Kentucky, came under fire for daring to point out this very fact, i.e., that Congress prioritizes the interests of Israel and international Zionism over the American people. Massey posted a simple picture on his official X page illustrating how eagerly Congress embraces Zionism while spurning American patriotism, a post that generated an immediate and hysterical backlash from numerous U.S. politicians and pundits. Massey's graphic was denounced as anti-Semitic, of course, with many calling for the populist representative to remove the meme and apologize. Um, and I'll stop there. That I, I read about half of the article, and you can get the rest of it um, You know, if you pick up a subscription to the newspaper. So, James, I mean, what, first off, what do you take – or sorry, what do you make of Representative Massey and the meme he posted, are there any members of Congress with the intellectual fortitude and bravery that Massey demonstrates? No, absolutely not, uh, and especially not on the Republican side. It's uh, almost unbelievable that the Democrats are better on this issue than the Republicans. It may be the only issue that uh, you can find a little bit of common ground, and even then they're arriving at a conclusion for the exact wrong and opposite reasons than we might but uh, nevertheless, uh, the Democrats have been more, I don't even want to say anti-Israel, but just more objective and fair. More balanced. This, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Balanced is the word to this conflict than the Republicans. And I, I did, uh, John, once you sent me the outline of what we were going to be talking about today, I went back and looked at the actions that Congress has taken going back to October uh, when you had uh, Israel's 9-11, which is what I call this thing. It is Israel's 9-11. And uh, the rise of Mike Johnson to the speakership of the House GOP. Uh, and I'll weave all that together in with a little commentary here on uh, Congressman Massey, who, frankly, had not cast a large shadow before the last couple of months. I mean, he wasn't a guy that we were talking about very regularly like uh, Rand Paul or, or Ron Paul when he was uh, in in Congress or anything like that. Uh, but as you may or may not know, or as your audience may or may not know, uh, Thomas Massey recently sat down with Tucker Carlson 
for an interview. And he did. I watched it. And he did come across as, and this was my, among my very first times to really hear him speak uh, as opposed to just reading uh, something that he had said. But he comes across as very bright. Uh, he mentioned during that interview the deep state, psyops, and the military-industrial complex. Now, he does come across uh, a little bit as a, a libertarian. Now, we just mentioned the Pauls. He comes across a little bit. He has a little bit of that vibe. For instance, he wears an uh, electrical gadget on his lapel. Uh, and it, 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 he is uh, actually an MIT electrical engineer uh, by uh, degree. And uh, this uh, this lapel displays the U.S. debt in real time. You know, again, a side issue, maybe a libertarian issue. Uh, it, what it should show, he should have a lapel that shows the decreasing number of whites in real time. But I think out of Congress, John, he's definitely the best we've got. He's the best we're going to get. And he does have a sense of humor, which is always a good sign and makes somebody relatable. And to this meme, this meme heard around the world, it was actually a meme that uh, sh uh, reads Congress these days, and it's two images, and it's of the rapper Drake. And in one image, uh, this uh, this uh, person is, it says American patriotism, and, and he's kind of shoving it off. He's looking away, putting, you know, doing the stiff arm like a football player would, like pushing that, brushing that aside. And then for Zionism, he's smiling with thumbs up. Uh, Congress yeah, says, yeah, against very, American patriotism and pro-Zionism. And this was something that Massey posted, and of course, instantly, you're never going to believe it, uh, but instantly you had Chuck Schumer. You write about this in your uh, front-page article, uh, a, page A1 there of American Free Press, about how Schumer, uh, Chuck Schumer had, of course, called this anti-Semitic. I mean, you can't possibly tell the truth without being called an anti-Semite or a Nazi. Uh, so I'll just pause right there uh, and uh, let you jump back in, but then we'll go back and sort of tie this uh, up. Uh, everything that led up to this, which was, of course, the actions the uh, House of Representatives have taken since October. And with it being a Republican-led House, even by the scantest of margins, it has been nothing. It has been all Israel all the time. They have done nothing except – well, we'll get into that. But it's well, it's all, like – it, it seems like – I mean it seems like the – I mean since Biden's been in the White House and since – well, certainly since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it's uh, – Basically, all of our money goes to Ukraine, and now all our money is going to Israel. I mean, we we've been giving you know we give Israel billions of dollars a year, regardless if, if they're in a conflict with Hamas or whatever that you know whatever's going on over there. We're we're always giving them more and more money and pledging to do more to advance the interests of Israel and to protect Jews not only in America but also around the world and to stand up to anti-Semitism on college campuses and in cities across the country. I mean, it's like all we do is place the interests of Jews in Israel and Zionism first and foremost and in whatever whatever sort of public policy we're considering. Um, and, and I guess what's – I mean, it's t totally unsurprising that he was immediately denounced as basically an anti-Semite, as you know, an, an anti-Israel bigot. Um, represented, or sorry, uh, Senator Jackie Rosen, who's a Jew, of course, a Jewish senator from Nevada, actually said that Massey's post puts Jewish Americans at risk. So simply <laughs> posting, simply posting a meme on social media is actually putting Jewish Americans at risk. And that sort of mindset really is very, very common, very, very mainstream, very, very representative of how Jews actually think. 
they think that posting something like this on the internet is well, literally putting Jews at risk. They have this mindset where the whole world is out to get them. Meanwhile, they have the most influence, the most privilege, the most wealth. They're the most organized and cohesive ethnic bloc in the country. Well, there's no doubt about that. Yes, I mean, they, they are the poor, downtrodden victims, even as they sit here and just wail on a defenseless population, basically, uh, in, in the Gaza Strip. But that whole meme that he posted that you know got so much backlash, basically he's just saying that the American Congress is more concerned with Israel than America. And that goes to the, the headline on the current issue of American Free Press, which we're talking about, which you wrote. America which, or which, Israel first. Which, by the way, what other newspaper is going to have a headline, America or Israel first, openly addressing this very, very taboo, very, very controversial topic? I don't think yeah, there's well, and, a I mean, single publication that would touch this with a 10-foot pole. And, by the way, folks, American Free Press's coverage of this issue going back to October when it first kicked off again in its current form has just been fantastic all the way through, including, uh, the I think, that first issue after, again, what I call Israel's 9-11 – uh, that uh, had a, a special uh, edition, a whole a whole B side uh, that, to it. That, that spot, the spotlight covered. on Palestine. Yeah, we had yeah. A, like a special report about it. Yeah, but I mean, of course, what Thomas Massey's doing here, Congressman Massey, Republican out of Kentucky, is doing here is just telling the truth. And how is it anti-Israel or putting Jews in danger to say, hey, it looks to me as a sitting member of Congress that America's much or the American representatives are much more concerned with Israel than uh, what's going on here. And it's hard to deny any of that. Let me, if I could, John, just take a moment and go back. I'll, I'll work in, in reverse order, going back from the most recent resolution uh, to things that were going on back uh, about a month, month and a half ago. You just had a headline here recently, House of Representatives votes to condemn anti-Semitism. Uh, so the story reads, the House voted, this was just what, Earlier this week, 311 to 14 in favor of a resolution to, quote, strongly condemn and denounce the drastic rise of anti-Semitism. The resolution, quote, clearly and firmly states that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, end quote. That's something. Yeah, that, that's that was the that was H.R. 894, which I address in this front page piece. And also uh, Paul Angel wrote his whole personal um, on the very next page, on page two of this issue, all about this resolution. The, the, this is the one that passed 311 to, to 14. Massey was the only Republican that voted yeah. against it. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. And, and you, you had, yes, it was 311 to, uh, excuse me, yes, 311 to 14. You're saying, well, hey, there's more members of Congress than that. That's right. 92 Democrats voted present. Again, you have the Democrats better on this issue for whatever reason, and it's not for our reasons, but they are better on it. Uh, than, than the Republicans. And Mike Johnson is just absolutely grotesque. This man is sickening in substance and style and appearance. There is nothing more repulsive to me than an effeminate man. And if you look at Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, it, it, it's hard to even remember back as recently as September before the, this whole latest event kicked off in the Middle East that they were getting rid of Kevin McCarthy as the House Speaker purportedly because they wanted to curb wasteful spending and foreign aid, and there was a big rise of uh, opposition to continuing to fund the war in Ukraine. Well, all that just went straight out the window when the Israeli lobby, AIPAC, pulled on the leash and uh, got all of these Republicans to uh, come to heel and stand at attention. So 
Uh, I mean, this literally has been not the primary agenda of the House Republicans for the last two months, but literally the only thing, John, that they've done. This is the only thing that they are doing. I, I don't even know really how many bills and resolutions like this have been passed over the last couple of months, but uh, I've, I've been trying to follow Brad Griffin's coverage over uh, at Occidental Descent about this, but I know it's at least at least a half a dozen, maybe more, and people are wondering, well, why is this? Well, APAC has funded 342 members of Congress. There's 435 congressmen and 100 U.S. senators, and the APAC has bought 432 of them. And, and so, again, whether it's – and a lot of these things, pardon the word, these resolutions are masturbatory. They don't have any real legal weight to them. You're still – you can be a so-called anti-Semite, and what is an anti-Semite asking Israel to stop, you know, murdering uh, kids and bombing hospitals? You're an anti-Semite? Okay. I have actually been denounced on the record personally by the United States Congress. It was back in 2015. It was a hearing of the House Judiciary Committee on immigration, and there was a sheriff from Arizona who had been on my program, and uh, they grilled him about it and uh, then took the turn, kicked off by King Jeffries, saying, I want to go on the record and let it be known that I personally denounced the political cesspool and James Edwards. And then they all sort of started taking turns, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee and several others. I want to be on the record letting it be known. So, I mean, it doesn't do anything. I mean, it didn't do anything for us except give us something to talk about. So a lot of this stuff is just a paper tiger it's just them uh, basically signaling to their donors at APAC and the Israel lobby that they're good little, um, you know, boys and girls uh, as far as Israel's interests are concerned. But, I mean, the stuff that they're doing on the college campuses, I mean, these are going to be woke left wing people that are uh, doing the things that they don't what they call anti-Semitic by advocating for a ceasefire or a restraint in, in Gaza, but, uh, or, yeah. yeah, for, for pro, yeah, like you said, for like literally protesting Israel, bombing civilian areas, bombing hospitals, bombing they call refugee that centers. Yeah, that's anti-Semitic. Exactly. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, since this, um, quote unquote, surprise Hamas incursion into Israel on October 7th, which by the way, I should say, I use the word surprise in, in air quotes now. I mean, I'm increasingly more and more skeptical of this alleged surprise attack, which oh, is a sub. On. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that we can get into in a few minutes here. It's actually something I wrote about in this issue of the newspaper as well. Uh, there's a, an interesting report in the New York Times um, that basically argued that I mean, not argued, but they basically looked at uh, some some. Well, they did some interviews with some Israeli officials and and, and politicians and intelligence people, and they, you know the, the Israelis basically more or less knew Hamas's strategy for well over a year. So, anyways, we can talk about that in a minute. But um, since October seventh and the launch of these latest hostilities between Israel and Hamas, it's like all we hear about in America on the news. In the mainstream news, on Fox News, and, and, and even the left-wing news, um, in the wider Western world, is that anti-Semitism is increasing. And it's actually Jews that are the victims of this conflict. Never mind all the Palestinian you know, <laughs> men, women, and children that have been barbarically murdered as a result of Israel's, I mean, frankly, genocidal military campaign in the Gaza Strip. And it's long-running humiliation and oppression of the Palestinians in the West Bank, they don't matter at all to these people, James. It's actually the Jews on 
college campuses, as you mentioned, or in you know other major cities across the country, they're actually the true victims of this conflict, after all. Can you believe the nerve of these people, the chutzpah of these people? <laughs> it is simply insulting. Yeah, but it defies belief that anybody can be that brazenly and openly wrong and with a straight face continue on with their position. I was mentioning, you know, just some of the things, these these toothless resolutions denouncing anti or anti-Semitism and and equating uh, a call for a ceasefire or what they call anti-Zionism to anti-Semitism, whatever anti-Semitism means. I always thought the definition of anti-Semitism itself was just uh, being a Gentile. But uh, the yeah. OK, no, go ahead. I was going to say, because I do want to I want to get your take on this very concept of anti-Semitism. Go ahead and finish up what you're saying. I'm sorry, but that, that is a topic I want to talk about. Well, you're right. But uh, the, so, uh, we're talking about APAC. Uh, APAC has funded uh, 430, 342 members of Congress. They are Mike Johnson's biggest donors. So I don't know. Maybe there is a dot to be connected there between the agenda of the House Republicans and the uh, biggest single biggest donor to the Speaker of the House being APAC. But this whole thing with the, the fighting anti-Semitism on campus, and again, uh, what is anti-Semitism? We'll talk about that in just a second. But this is, they're holding hearings now in Congress. The House Republicans are holding hearings on anti-Semitism. And I loved what the uh, uh, commentator Michael Tracy wrote. Uh, it's so hard, he writes, to be a Harvard student these days, pretty much the most oppressed, marginalized segment of society. They need our urgent support. And you had Representative Dale Strong. Nobody's ever heard of Dale Strong. Nobody knows who he is. But he is a sitting member of Congress. He is a Republican representative out of Alabama. Again, he doesn't have a national profile at all. I doubt even people in this district know who he is. But he is a member of Congress. He is a Republican. And he writes, today, brave college students shared moving and deeply disturbing accounts of anti-Semitism on their campuses. And these are Jews, Jewish students from Harvard, and they're treating <laughs> – they want people like us and the American – the regular working-class, middle-class American to think that these people have it so hard and that the top priority of Republican voters is the discrimination that Jewish Harvard students are getting or, or, or Jewish students at the Ivy League camp, campuses are getting uh, when – uh, there is a very earnest and sincere criticism of Israel, and Israel should be criticized. And I know that this is a quaint notion that uh, uh, colleges and universities are places where uh, ideas can be debated you know, without fear of retribution. We know that that's not how that works. But this whole thing with these sitting members of Congress in the Republican House are positioning these uh, Jewish students at Ivy Leagues as the, as the ones that uh, – you know, everybody's out to get. I mean, it is. They're the I biggest victims. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, they're, they're I victims. know. It, it is. It is. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. And yet, this is the top priority for the Republicans. It's a huge priority for even the Democrats. At least a, a, a large segment of the Democratic Party. It's absolutely ridiculous. And you know, and I got to ask you because I mean, you know, you're you mentioned um, HR eight ninety four, which is something that we covered in this issue of the newspaper. Um, which is this resolution. It's actually titled, I have it up right here, HR, um, yeah, House Resolution 894, strongly condemning and denouncing the drastic rise of anti-Semitism in the United States and around the world. And, you know, you could you could find this easily just by, by Googling it, but it basically um, denounces and condemns all instances of anti-Semitism occurring in the United States and globally, reaffirms its strong support for the Jewish community at home and abroad, 
calls on all elected officials and world leaders to condemn and fight all forms of domestic and global anti-Semitism, clearly and firmly states that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And, of course, it rejects all forms of hate, terror, discrimination, and harassment of members of the Jewish community. I mean, are we? Is, is there ever been a resolution passed for American citizens facing <laughs> discrimination? For you know, I mean, it's just so ridiculous that like this one group of people receives all this attention, and it goes to the heart. Like, what is anti-Semitic? What does it even mean anymore? I mean, Massey was immediately denounced for promoting this anti-Semitic idea with his meme. And I, I got to ask you, like, what exactly is anti-Semitism anymore? Well, I of course. I had uh, a trouble understanding definitions uh, and how the media was using them until I got involved. And, uh, you know, I wrote a book way back in 2010 now, which was actually way ahead of its time at the time, racism, schmacism, how liberals use the R word. But uh, but I, I I defined in the book some of these weaponized terms uh, in, with regards to what they really mean, practically speaking, when the media is using them. And that's the problem you've got with with Thomas Massey here is that um, you've you, all of his comrades up there are getting funded by by this uh, by this entity and this interest, and so you've got the peer pressure there of going along with your colleagues, or you may get primaried, or you may get uh, put into prison, as you know we've seen with Steve Stockman and Steve King. Uh, Steve King was primaried. Steve Stockman. Uh, put into prison and then or you could even get the trafficking treatment where you go to prison and then when you get out you run over yourself uh, while you're riding your own tractor mowing the grass but for him to have spoken out as he did he opened up himself to these attacks and to my knowledge and if you've seen something that i haven't he has not yet apologized for that which is really remarkable no for a member I, of Congress. He, no i don't think he's back down at all not that i've seen anyways in fact chuck schumer was lecturing him on twitter and Massey very, you know, powerfully responded. Yes, I, he did. I wish you cared more about our borders exactly. than you do about what I say on Twitter. Yeah, so he's yeah, he doesn't appear to be backing down but, at all. No, he hasn't. But you were asking the definition of, of of these words, and as I defined them in my book in 2010, racist when used by the media. When you see these terms, the, the, the definitions don't carry the meaning that a lot of people think that they might. If you really pay attention, a racist is a white person. A white supremacist is a white person who doesn't hate himself. An anti-Semite is a Gentile and a neo-Nazi is a Gentile who has publicly disagreed with the Jew. That's how that's I define these words. That's very good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's how, <laughs> that's how I define these words. So when I see somebody being referred to as an anti-Semite, I, I read that as them saying, OK, this is a Gentile. And if they call him a neo-Nazi, this is a Gentile that's actually kind of pushed back a little bit on the narrative. But I think obviously when they use these words, the uh, what they want these words to convey is if you are an anti-Semite, you are someone who wants to Holocaust six million Jews. That is what they want. to. They want you to have that in the back of your mind. Somebody's an anti-Semite. He has an irrational hatred of Jews that is not based in any fact or reason that is certainly not based on any of the actions that they take. It is just an irrational, uninformed, ignorant hatred and much more than that it's violent and criminal really if you think about it that, yes, that's what they want that, you to think that goes to the that goes to the heart of it yeah that's the intention when they invoke that term um you know joe soberin the, the the late great you know intellectual joe soberin yes he said an anti-semite used to mean a man who hated jews 
Now it means a man who is hated by the Jews. That's a very and that's good a, yeah that's very, a very yeah good. very a very pithy. That's that's uh, even better. That improved yeah. my well. Of course, that's Joe Sobrin, so you're never going to top that. Yeah, yeah. Had well, he was to talk to him before he died, but yeah, he was an honest journalist. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah, and I think that really kind of goes to the heart of it. And I mean, this is something that I've been I've been writing and talking about for a very long time because I think it's very important to sort of break down what exactly anti-Semitism is. Certainly the way it's you know practically used and invoked. And the very concept of anti-Semitism at this point basically encompasses any criticism or frank statement of fact regarding Jewish power and influence in America, yeah. the role that organized Jewry and individual Jews themselves play in American society and in our government, in our media, um, in banking and education and whatever, in any, in, in any sector of society. It's not even really like this irrational or blind hatred of Jews that the word actually, um, when it's, whenever it's invoked, that's like the first thing that people think of. I don't even know a single person, honestly, who really thinks like that, who really just like mindlessly, you know, blindly dislikes Jews. And and for the ones who are objectively critical, you got to understand, you can criticize someone without hating them. You can say, you know what, I don't like the the position that this government takes or this media takes without having any any hatred. And, and that's what people need to remember. So uh, and I think, yes, in, in the cases where you do have people honest enough to speak out, knowing that it's going to bring down hell on them in the media and elsewhere could cost them their job if they're not, you know, well insulated. Uh, so for people who are honest enough to speak out about this, they always have the facts behind them uh, because yeah. it, it would take you to be very well rooted in the facts and in reality before you would take a position like this, because otherwise your default position is to uh, just go along with the flow and do what everybody else is doing. You don't have a really good understanding of it. Uh, and so you just you just parrot what you hear. And a lot of people, of course, are just craving cowards. I mean, again, we got to the bottom of it. APAC is a top donor to these people. And they know that, number one, if they speak out against Israel, the spigot's going to get cut off. That money's going to quit pouring in. But more than that, they're going to be ostracized by the media, which is controlled by this same group of people and, and probably lose their position or, you know, very likely, very possibly lose their position as a member of, of uh, the House and all of the goodies that come with being an yeah. American congressman. They, so, they certainly jeopardize that position very, very quickly as soon yeah. as they start saying anything like this. Well, and yeah, and I mean, like anti-Semitism fundamentally is – or, or a, the word anti-Semite, anti-Semitism, whatever, however it's, it's used or invoked. Fundamentally, I mean, it is a weaponized term. I think that's a good way of putting it. That's the way you describe some of those other words like racist or white supremacist. These are just totally weaponized terms that are used to target anyone – speaking critically or honestly about the role that Jews and Jewish organizations and, of course, the Jewish state of Israel. That's the way it, Israel is, you know, identified as. It's the Jewish state for the Jewish people. If you, you know, if you start talking about any of these things openly and honestly or frankly, critically, um, you are fundamentally an anti-Semite, according to these people. And it's just, again, one of these very weaponized terms that we have just got to be grownups about and recognize and not be afraid to talk about these subjects. They, I mean, because it goes to the heart of everything. I mean, we have our entire government bending over backwards to champion the interests of Israel and Zionism and yeah. to, you know, safeguard the Jewish people, not only in America, but in Israel and around the and, world. It's and incredible. Johnny
again, embarrassingly so. Embarrassingly so. It would be one thing to pass a resolution giving them $14.3 billion, which is another thing that Congress has done in the last month since the reign of the cucked-out Mike Johnson. Right. Uh, but they pass all of these resolutions just to make themselves look good to their donors. Again, we've covered a couple of them. This this The House of Representatives voting to condemn anti-Semitism and call anti-Zionism anti-Semitism by official de- decree. Well, I mean, this was just a, a paper. This is this is nothing. Um, and then you know, fighting, holding hearings to fight uh, the poor, downtrodden Jewish students at Harvard and of other Ivy League schools. This thing, and they did just vote. By, by the way, um, they had another vote last week. House of Representatives votes to affirm Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state. Now, has anybody ever said? that they didn't want the Jews to have their own homeland. I haven't heard that be talked about anywhere. The vote on that one uh, to affirm Israel's right to exist was 412 to 1, and the one who voted against it was Thomas Massey. Yep. So, yep. again, they, all of these – all of the only, the only thing people are saying with regards to Israel right now is not that it doesn't have a right to exist, but that they should stop killing babies with indiscriminate bombings and phosphorus gas. Yeah, passing these yep. more pro-Israel bills as if no one is sure where they stood on Israel. Well, here's another one. And again, Massey, the only one who votes no. Now, they did pass the $14.3 billion aid bill to Israel. Uh, and this one, this is interesting in the House. You had 214 members of the Republican House vote yes, 194 Democrats voting against. This is to fund Israel to the tune of an additional $14.3 billion, as you said, John, in addition to what they're already getting every year from the American taxpayer, 214 Republicans for, 194 Democrats against. Only two Republicans were against it. And, of course, again, it was Thomas Massey, number one, and Marjorie Taylor Greene voted against uh, the uh, $14.3 billion aid package to Israel. So, And it was interesting because, again, going back to September, you had uh, one of the reasons they – I've already said this once, but I think I'll repeat it as a point of emphasis. One of the reasons that they allegedly wanted to remove McCarthy was because the GOP House didn't want to fund the war in Ukraine. But I guess funding <laughs> – they lost interest in funding that war, but they got a lot of interest in funding this war. But you go back to October, $14.3 billion to Israel, condemning college students, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza as anti-Semitic. Authorizing, they actually did authorize a war uh, with Iran on the grounds that it had weapons of mass destruction. We'll see where that goes, but it's basically like the war guarantee that uh, was given to Poland. And uh, well, they were they were trying to they were trying to tie Iran into this October seventh attack right off the yeah. bat as well, saying that Iran was supporting Hamas and directing Hamas. I think that's kind of fizzled down, but you saw reports very early on. You know, and of course, the neocons dominating D.C. and dominating the State Department were making these allegations from the very get-go. And and it's very telling. I mean, the entire political establishment. I mean, except for maybe Massey, and maybe like some of these people sort of associated with like the Squad, which is kind of like the far left of the Democratic Party. Um, very very few basically have been in any way critical or. Um, not totally on board with supporting Israel from the very beginning of this conflict. And, um, you know, again, to me, that's that's very, very telling. Uh, I, I want to kind of not necessarily switch gears, but talk more about the actual situation in Palestine. Phil Giraldi wrote a lengthy piece in this issue of the newspaper 
titled Palestine Without Palestinians, Israel's Plan for Ethnic Cleansing, which makes a very strong case that Israel is attempting to implement their quote-unquote final solution Mm -hmm. to the Palestinian problem by ethnically cleansing all of Gaza and possibly even the West Bank, which are basically the only two enclaves in, in occupied Palestine where the, the native Palestinian people are living these days. Uh, so basically their goal is to force the Palestinians to relocate to Egypt or Jordan, or even better, according to some of these far-left Jewish thinkers and activists, to become refugees and resettle in America and Europe. And of course, we all know mm-hmm. the role that organized Jewry and Jewish activist groups have played in promoting mass immigration throughout the Western world and creating this paradigm where formerly white Christian European nations are fundamentally transformed into proposition nations where anyone from anywhere in the world can show up at our border and claim citizenship. They've created this like moral paradigm where we Westerners and in Western countries are actually supposed to welcome in and celebrate the third world, you know, into our country due to, you know, whatever historic, alleged historical oppression or colonialism or slavery or the Holocaust. I mean, the Holocaust narrative is central to all of this, of course, you know, it's constantly invoked. It's incredible. So, and you know, you look at like our foreign policy since 9-11, we invade the Middle East and then invite them over to our countries. It's absolutely madness, and it's the same people behind both the wars and the opening of our borders. Yeah, so, you've heard, yeah. Of, of course, the term the best of both worlds. This is, in fact, the worst of both worlds. This is exactly uh, what they are proposing right now. You get, uh, You are at once in favor of displacing these people and siding with Israel, which is not in America's vital interest, and then bringing the people that you are displacing, and believe me, the world sees America for what it is, which is Israel's golem. And you are bringing these people who know that you empowered Israel to kill their friends and family and children and and wives and husbands and brothers and sisters and cousins and mothers and fathers, and they know that America enabled Israel to do that, gave them the money, gave them the advanced technology to be as efficient as they have been, and then you bring those people who hate you to come and live in your society, that serves the purpose of Israel on two fronts. Number one, you help make it possible to genocide these people, and then you take them out of their area and of their living space and bring them into yours, which is just going to cause more strife and conflict here in uh, the Western nations. And to be clear, my position on this is uh, Nick Griffin, former member of European Parliament, good friend of mine. We did a QA and a with him in American Free Press recently as well, and he was even more recently on uh, back on the political cesspool as a guest. Uh, but he had uh, he has had some just fantastic impression and insightful takes on this, talking about how this is, in fact, the world's first televised genocide, what is taking place here. Yeah, and yeah, it's a good out- way of looking at it. Outside of this bubble that is controlled by the American media and maybe some of the equally corrupt Western nations in Western Europe, France and the UK, places like that, the rest of the world sees this far differently than people who get their content from the controlled media see this. And 
I think that Israel is very much losing the Holocaust cudgel. You know, this whole thing where they were the world's victims, you know, for all of these years, whether you believed that or not, that was always how they presented themselves. And I think, you know, they are actually doing here in many cases what they always alleged to have been done to them. And the world is seeing this and they are really losing the narrative, John. I, I have yeah. never seen oh, yeah. a narrative turn on really an issue as fast as this that I can recall. Uh, well, the, the it, way that social media has been able to really just circumvent the controlled press and what we've seen in the last two months, going back to early October, has just been phenomenal on college campuses. Really, social media is driving this. You're certainly not getting it from you know, ABC, CBS, CNN, places like that. But the world is turning on, on Israel. And I say turning on, oh, they're, they're, they're the eternal victim. No, but the world is seeing what's going on here for itself. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I mean, and, unless you're like just totally mind controlled by this Jewish propaganda and just totally incapable of, of thinking for yourself, you have got to see through this nonsense. I mean, we've got people like Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, making speeches basically saying the entire world is anti-Semitic because they don't support this genocidal campaign of killing innocent civilians in Gaza. You know, the entire world is anti-Semitic for not taking at face value these ridiculous, outrageous claims of Hamas atrocities. You know, they've been saying that they were, you know, beheading babies and raping all these women. There's not a shred of evidence to demonstrate any of this. So simply asking for legitimate evidence to, to you know, to, to, to prove these claims is, is anti-Semitic to them. It's basic. They equate it actually with denying the Holocaust. If you deny or question what these Israeli officials are saying about these alleged atrocities, you're basically denying the Holocaust. Yeah, they, right? they blur it all together. Anti-Semitism is the same as wanting to genocide uh, Jews. Anti-Zionism is the same as anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is the same as as a Holocaust and all of that. I mean, yes, you're exactly right. And they do that, of course, on purpose because they just don't want you to touch it at all. They don't want you to have any sort of they, – they pretend – you know, the liberals and pretend to appreciate the you know, diversity, but they, they certainly have no appreciation for the diversity of opinion. That's something that I say time and time again. But I think one thing we got to remember here is too is that um, – I mean, yes, you're looking at the Republican Party, how disgusting, how grotesque, how embarrassing. But basically there is no place in the Republican Party now for anyone who objects to plunging into a huge – new war in the Middle East that has none of America's vital interests at stake. Uh, and in fact, if you believe that you shouldn't plunge into another unconstitutional war that has none of America's vital interests at stake, you are in fact anti-Semitic. Right. That's what we're talking about here. Yep. And then the, 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 the media, the conservative media is even worse than the Republican Congress. I mean, you had Glenn Beck who came out after the the August incident, which, you know, Paul Craig Roberts has, has written about this extensively, former Secretary of the Treasury, uh, regular contributor to American Free Press, been a guest on my program, uh, was in the Reagan administration. Obviously, the reason we call this Israel's 9-11 is there's no way that that just happened. There's no way. I mean, the Gazan Air Force is, is people with you know fans tied to their bag. There's no way that they penetrated Israel by land, air, and sea uh, all at the same time. All of this world-class, top-of-the-line, top-shelf uh, security of Israel failed all at the same time, either 
there was obviously some agents embedded within Hamas or this was a Mossad operation, you know, just top to finish. Uh, and, and they did it themselves. It was one of the two. There's just or, no or they just I, I tend to think I mean, it, it's it's tough to know exactly, but I tend to think that a lot of this alleged you know, Hamas attack is, is way overblown and way exaggerated. And all, and all of these atrocity tales are obviously fabricated. There's actually a lot of uh, testimony coming out that's much more legitimate and much more convincing that a lot of the, uh, the, the, of, the of the actual real deaths that were caused by this, um, you know, Hamas incursion, a lot of them were actually done by the Israeli military in responding to this. And there's been a lot of Israelis themselves who have testified to this, but you're right. I do think that they, they had to have known something was, was coming either. either and, yeah, and maybe I, they let it happen just to see, justify this. That, I think I tend to think that that's kind of what happened, but who knows yeah. either way, this, th- this it, barbaric genocidal military campaign that they've launched in the aftermath is totally outrageous, totally unnecessary. And again, somehow they're the victims in all this. Well, that's right. So that's what I was just to clarify. That's what I was trying to say a second ago was that either they knew about it and allowed it to happen or it was orchestrated uh, entirely by agents embedded within Hamas. Uh, Who knows? But uh, I I do believe that Israel allowed it to happen. They wanted to have a little 9-11 incident where you you have this thing and then you get to go and and blow these these countries up, uh, you know, indiscriminately for years and years and years. Of course, it wouldn't have taken Israel that long to, I mean, the, the Gaza Strip is only just a few miles long and even uh, less than that in, in, in width uh, and about six square miles of, of ocean fishing that they're allowed. I mean, it's just, it is a tiny open air concentration camp. And But yes, they're the victims. And I, But again, I think that surely uh, the Israeli government must have thought that this would have played better. They thought that they could get this initial story out, Jews being attacked. Uh, for no reason, by evil, hate-filled Hamas people. And I'm sure there is a lot of hate resentment over there, but that this would just give them the right to go and do what they would do and everybody would understand, and it's just not working that way for them. It doesn't work that way anymore. And uh, But one thing I think even our people have to remember uh, is I, I think, well, I hope it doesn't come across necessarily that uh, we are positioning the Arabs as our friends. Uh, both of these groups, uh, the, the Jews and the Arabs, have always been historic adversaries of Europeans and of especially Christians. So to see this and say, hey, now hold on, wait a minute. Now, what, what is all of this that you're doing over there? Obviously, uh, in terms of just human rights, this is, this is something the world needs to be taking another look at, uh, your control of the media uh, or notwithstanding. But I, I don't want it to appear as though, oh, because we have legitimate gripes about Jewish power and influence that the Muslims, we're going to you know, hug these guys and bring them over and they're going to be our friends in this. They have never been, and I don't think they ever will be, reliable allies of, of Europe or of Christians, and, and that's something to, to remember. But all of that being said, it does not take away the absurdity of the way that the Republican House has responded to this situation. Why not just now? What I would say personally is, it's not our war. Neither of these people are allies of of America, and we're going to let them fight it out in in their own sandbox. But you could say it much more diplomatic than that, and just say that we believe that, and I do believe this, that all people have a right to a homeland of their own, and we wish uh, the Jews and the Palestinians well, and hope that they can work it out. <laughs> 
which yeah. of course isn't going to happen. But I do, I do want that. I mean, I don't want well, Jews I, or, or Palestinians or Arabs or whatever you want to call them uh, to to suffer. Uh, I want everybody to have a homeland, but I want to have a homeland that represents our culture and our faith and our people. And uh, unfortunately, we sort of had that, but it's occupied right now. Yeah, no, that's that that's well said. I I, I more or less agree with you. I think the the main problem though is that. U.S. foreign policy is fundamentally driving all of these conflicts, whether it's in Ukraine or in Israel. In fact, I wrote a piece, uh, another piece in American Free Press on this very subject, and there was even an Israeli major general, this guy named Yitzhak Brick, that uh, basically admitted that without U.S. support, Israel would not be able to engage in any of these military operations. They would not even be able to exist. And I have the quote in the article. That's on page 26 of this most recent issue. And he basically said that the minute that they, the minute that the U.S. turns off the tap, we can't keep fighting. So, anyways, that that's the point. Well, is yeah, that I mean, and that's, we we that, should that, we just have no business being involved in all of these conflicts. Not only being involved, but outright instigating them. You know, creating these sorts of situations and then funding and backing it. You know, diplomatically politically, militarily, financially. I mean, America is the leading driver of all of these conflicts around the world at this point. And 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 the, the rest of the world sees that. I you know, you know, certainly, you know, you're looking at the, the the white western world is just falling off a cliff demographically speaking. The Muslim uh, world is far more populous. They, they certainly don't have the power or the weapons, you know, thank God in many ways. But uh, they, <laughs> most of the world sees this for what it is. Rather than the uh, Israeli sanitized version of of what it is, and I think again, I mean, it's not hard to figure out. We've already talked about it. This isn't some sort of anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, which they say any anything based in fact or truth is. You, you, we know that APAC is funding these uh, representatives, and we know that they want to keep that funding, and they don't want to be called to the carpet in the press like Massey is doing. So they just go along with it. And uh, I don't think this is a big issue with the American people. I, I don't. I mean, certainly you've got this dispensationalist, Christian, Zionist, evangelical cohort that certainly worships Israel more than God and favors Israel more than America. I mean, you've certainly got that. Uh, but I don't think this is an issue that would be anywhere near the, the the most important issue in the 2024 presidential election that's going to be the economy that's going to, it's going to be foreign policy but not just this it would, it would have been ukraine and you know they trying to stave off some sort of a you know regional or world war type of scenario here this will sort of lap into foreign policy but just israel in and of itself would not have been the issue uh, uh, that it is had it not been for their complete control over these representatives and you had you had again this unimaginable display of cuckoldry at the fourth presidential debate. And why are they even having these Republican presidential debates? Trump's beating everybody by like 40 points. He's beating the field by 40 points. They still have these these losers up on stage that are polling single digits. And every single, the whole last debate was nothing but which of the candidates, if elected president in some fairy tale world, could be the most slavishly subservient to Israel. You had Vivek yeah, Ramaswamy yep. who who says some things that I agree with, but he, he became he, he was talking about impaling the heads of Hamas members. Yet Chris Christie, he wants to send in troops into Gaza to fight for Israel, boots on the ground, troops. Nikki Haley uh, wants to ban TikTok 
because she says it's making young people more anti-Semitic. And then Tim Scott, of course, <laughs> pulled the plug on his campaign because he said he has to dedicate his life to fighting anti-Semitism on college campuses. I mean, so again, according to the Republican Party, these people the are such slaves. It's so embarrassing. It's not. It's, it is. But in a, if you looked at what the Republican House has done since October, this isn't just an important issue or even the most important issue. It is the only issue. It's the only issue they care about. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's interesting that you brought that the GOP debate because I did want to kind of switch gears and, and talk about that and then wrap up with uh, a discussion about immigration and some recent developments in Ireland and your Q&A with Peter Brimlow. But um, we actually had a piece published in this issue of American Free Press by Don Jeffries um, d discussing Vivek Ramaswamy and how he's been attacking the GOP establishment, the Republican National uh, what is it? The Republican National Committee, um, which is like the you know like the establishment wing of the GOP, and and Rona McDaniel as basically a party of losers, and how these people just do not represent the interests of the average Republican voter. Um, and I think that you know obviously that that's very true. And you talked about the debate last night. By the way, Ramaswamy has gotten himself into trouble for embracing another quote-unquote anti-Semitic conspiracy yeah. theory, and that's this idea of the Great Replacement, which is <laughs> very much very apparent to anybody paying attention, and yet if you notice it, it's an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. If you're celebrating it, of course, it's it's normal and it's natural and it's it's something to be celebrated. Yeah, if you're celebrating it, of course it's happening, and uh, you know it, it's a good thing that it's, it's a good happening. Thing, There's yeah. no doubt that it's happening, and it's good. But if you are against it, you're an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist. Of course, it's not happening. Yeah, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy has said a lot of things that I like. He comes down on this issue with all the other Republicans, including Trump, by the way, with his subservience to Israel. But he is good on some of these other issues. And in that debate, yes, he caught a lot of flack for it. And he, too, did not back down. Uh, he wrote, uh, the Great Replacement is real on a, on a legal pad and, and black Sharpie marker. And held it up. And I think that, that that that's a powerful thing to do. You say it and then you show it and it really just penetrates people's minds. But, yeah, he did. And it is, of course, happening. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's the great replacement fact is what you should call it. Look at the look at the uh, white proportion of the population. Uh, there's no doubt that it's happening. That, you know, again, anti it, I, I was reading something today in one of the you know controlled press organs saying it, it is the debunked conspiracy theory i mean it's not debunked at all it's an absolute fact but no good on ramaswamy for that i mean this is another thing people have to understand is that we can criticize people on some things and agree with them on some things it's not that if you find something you disagree with about a person that everything else is bad i mean uh you, you have to just be objective about these things and, and look at it all uh you know on a line item type of uh, situation but no he did do good on that and that was something that again was brought out and more and more people are talking about this. As much as we've been sort of talking about how cucked out the Republican House is, and it is, there's no doubt about that, there are still some good things. We are still much better off in many ways than we were three years ago, five years ago, certainly a decade ago. And you just had, I mean, you just had Marjorie Taylor Greene being interviewed by Tucker Carlson as well, saying that uh, this was just a couple of days ago, a sitting member of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene out of Georgia, saying that, Derek Chauvin was sacrificed because he's white and he's male. Uh, she went on to say that they want to kill off a whole generation of white men. Uh, why is no one in Congress stepping up for this man? Tucker Carlson asked her, and she talked about it being the one of the biggest injustices happening in our lifetime. He did nothing wrong, so on and so forth. But then she doubled back on uh, the 
discrimination that white men face and just went on and on and on about it. So uh, that's good. Uh, that's good. Yeah, the, diversity the, the for fewer white men. Yeah, yeah. The, the rhetoric has definitely changed quite a bit. And these sorts of talking points that, you know, we've been making these, these sorts of points and, and sort of ideas that we've been talking about for a very, very long time are basically becoming mainstream in yeah, the Republican I, I Party. What's, yeah. what's sort of schizophrenic about it a little bit is that these very same people, in many cases the same people, uh, that are making pro-white talking points are still doing all of these crazy votes for Israel. So there, there is a little bit of a disconnect there, uh, but I'll take whatever good I can get and we'll work on the rest. But yes, I mean, they are. there is a movement in a more pro-white, white identitarian direction, uh, even while they are still uh, on their knees. Slavishly devoted before, to Israel, yeah. Yeah, they're prostrating yep. themselves before Israel while they are making you know, some pro-white talking points, talking about the Great Replacement, Marjorie Taylor Greene saying all the stuff that I just quoted. Um, so, again, what you would have had 10 years ago was the prostrating themselves before Israel, but none of the other good stuff. So we'll, we'll have to take this in, 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 uh, in the bits and pieces that we can get it. But there is still some good trends going on, especially within the Republican base. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think that's going to only continue. I do too. Um, especially with, with people like Ramaswamy. I don't know what the latest polls are. I know they've been really trying to prop up Nikki Haley, oh for example. God. And she's just, oh my gosh, she is just so unbelievably horrible. They were actually talking about the border. I, I, I read an article about um, her main concern with the border is not all the Mexicans and third world people flowing in. She's more concerned about uh, Hezbollah or like Iranian terrorists coming across the border. <laughs> well, it's like this woman could not be more disconnected from reality it's like that, unbelievable that, 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 that's like uh tucker carlson has done a, a, a series of interesting in, interviews from thomas massey to marjorie taylor green which you just mentioned but that that ridiculous comment that you just said that she's worried about people who don't even live within an ocean of the border coming uh, swimming to mexico i guess and then walking in that that's like alex jones said to uh, tucker carlson he was talking about uh, that one of the biggest problems facing america is the fact that the chinese run hollywood and it's I'm like, unbelievable, you know, how man. How can you even believe yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Are there even any Chinese people in Hollywood at all? Not that I'm aware of, honestly. And I mean, the same thing with like TikTok. They want to demonize it as like this Communist Party run social media platform. It's just totally ridiculous. You know, anyways, we don't even got to get, get off track on that. But I did want to kind of circle back and, and kind of wrap up and talk about immigration. I mean, you had a, a really interesting Q&A with Peter Brimlow, and this is what, the third or fourth Q&A I think we published? I think it's the fourth. I got it right here, so I can tell you. It is the fourth, and they yeah. have all been outstanding. I think uh, very interesting, very interesting people. Nick Griffin, who's been mentioned, he's a former member of European Parliament. Then we did one with Philip de Winter, who's a sitting uh, member of the Flemish Parliament in Belgium, so it's basically, he would be the uh, equivalent of a United States congressman or United States representative here, uh, former member of the United States uh, House of Representatives, Steve Stockman out of Texas, and then most recently Peter Brimelow of, of V-Dare, who, you know, one thing that makes Peter interesting isn't just that he runs such a, a popular America First Immigration uh, webzine, but the fact that he was employed by, by this media. He was employed by Forbes magazine and National Review, and he, he talked about that in a very engrossing way. I mean, he was very frank and candid 
about his career. And I just thought it was a very interesting read that the forthrightness mixed with humor. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a he's a very a, a very smart man, a very uh, you know very much an intellectual, very much um, very witty, very clever. I've been following Vidar for a very long time. Great source of information, great commentary. Uh, I mean, mostly it's it's relating to immigra- immigration. Immigration, but I mean, they've, I've I've read articles about um, you know political issues. I mean, a lot of it ties back to immigration, but it is a, a great a great source of information. And the Q and A I thought was excellent. And this has really been Peter's bread and butter issue going back to even when he was in sort of mainstream journalism, right? I mean, I think he published his original book, Alien Nation. When he was writing for Forbes, wasn't it? Yep, it was back in uh, the mid '90s while he was writing for Forbes, and he, write, he writes uh, you know, answers in the Q and A that we did for American Free Press about what Steve Forbes, you know, the former presidential uh, candidate and uh, the head of the of the Forbes magazine, you know, thought about all of that and the treatment that Peter received as a result of that. But yeah, I mean, that was something when I first started writing for American Free Press again. I, I had written a few articles way back uh, before the start of the political cesspool, which was more than uh, 20 years ago now. I think it was back in 2003, Willis Cardo let me write a, you know, a few articles here and there, you know, maybe a handful. But I'd always stayed in touch with the paper and uh, always respected it. And, of course, got to know you and Paul Angel over the years. And uh, when the opportunity came for me to come back and, and write for the paper again and took uh, up uh, that uh, honor in June, you know, I was writing some basically some op-ed pieces and articles, just my observations on different things that were in the news. But then I, I went back to you and I just said, it would just be interesting. We have access through the radio program to all of these, you know, interesting people and maybe a Q&A thing. And I just thought that it would sort of, for the reader, uh, look a little bit different than the who, what, where, when, and why style reporting that you put into the paper, John, or some of the, uh, you know, opinion-focused uh, pieces that other contributors do uh, just to have a, a Q&A. I just think that's that's always a, something that's eye-catching for me to see, particularly if you have interesting uh, inter, uh, people being interviewed with interesting things to say. And, you know, so far, so good, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it's a, a very, a very good addition to the newspaper. I've done Q&As in the past similar to this, but they've more or less been in the Barnes Review History Magazine. And I think that, honestly, sometimes those articles turn out the best you can really kind of get the most out of the person you're interviewing and really get to the bottom and really get their get their you know their their honest assessment on 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 some of these uh, important topics so i think it's you know all of the q a's have been great i think this latest one with peter brimlow was probably the one of the better ones the more interesting reads anyways um so yeah i tip my hat to you and i and i, and I know we can uh, probably expect some more Q and A's going forward as we you know wrap up this year and get into 2024, um, and I do want to mention one other article in the paper dealing with immigration. I don't know, did you catch uh, Mike Walsh's piece about the situation in Ireland where that Algerian, yeah, sure yeah, that Algerian immigrant who, from what I've read, should not have even been in the country to begin with. Apparently, right. he was there for nearly 20 years or over 20 years. I can't remember exactly. Basically, somebody that shouldn't have been in the country to begin with went on this stabbing spree, stabbed some Irish children. It, you know, generated a a huge backlash amongst the Irish people. Conor McGregor, the you know very very world renowned MMA fighter, has been sounding off on it on Twitter and is talking about maybe running for president of Ireland. 
you know, according to some of the reports that I've seen lately. And what is the Irish government's response to all this? They're more concerned about cracking down on hate speech and cracking down on Irish nationalism and this reaction, this this anti-immigrant sentiment. I mean, the country's been flooded with third worlders, just like every other Western nation has. And the, and the Irish government is more concerned with the public expressing their outrage, their righteous indignation at this invasion of their country and the crimes that are being committed against Irish citizens and children than they are about this man that went on the stabbing spree. Yes, uh, you said it all. There's not much more I can add to that except for the fact that I think it's very encouraging when you see someone like Conor McGregor, who's a mixed martial arts champion, uh, heavyweight champion, uh, this is one of the most charismatic and world-renowned athletes in the world of any sport. I mean, he is a name that anybody who follows sports has probably heard, at least heard, uh, if they don't know uh, a, a little bit more about his career than that. And uh, to the story that you're, you're mentioning here, you had this uh, non-white, not even supposed to have been in the country, who just starts stabbing a bunch of school kids. Uh, on the street, and to that, Conor McGregor responded, innocent children, uh, he's writing this on Twitter, or X, innocent uh, children ruthlessly stabbed by mentally deranged non-national in Dublin, Ireland today. Our police chief had this to say on the riots, riots in the aftermath. And uh, McGregor mocks what the police uh, had to say, and then he said, there is a grave danger among us in Ireland that should have never been here in the first place. Then uh, you started to have a groundswell of populist uh, outcry uh, about immigration and keeping the Irish people safe. Isn't that, again, the purpose of the of the state, you know, hypothetically? And you had this uh, this journalist come by on a, on a bicycle, and he wants to get uh, some interviews with the people who are protesting immigration and i don't know if you saw this clip but uh in the video the people there at the protest just you know curse this reporter and run him off yeah uh, i i saw center. i saw that on twitter yeah a very you know appropriate response frankly and uh, to that conor mcgregor responded isn't that something the absolute picture of weak and feeble and that is again what these reporters are the most divisive of all is the weak man and i was saying something similar about Mike Johnson earlier tonight. Uh, but uh, one of the most horrific crimes this nation has ever seen, uh, we do not care anymore what you sad cases have got to say. In a war, you are nothing. And I think if you had men who are unapologetically strong and confident in this position, like Conor McGregor, someone willing to step into that vacuum I think there is a groundswell of pro-white sentiment, uh, an entire vacuum of discontent that is waiting to be harnessed. This energy is there, it's palpable, it's under the surface, and if someone would have the courage to step in and harness it, I think they'd be playing with fire. Yes. And I think they could go, yep. they could go really, really far. I think Trump has been the closest we've gotten. He's a far cry from what we need. He's a far cry from the genuine article. But I think he has, as I mentioned in my recent American Renaissance speech, he has certainly numbed people to the accusation of racism. Uh, he has certainly said some things that white people like. And uh, he has certainly been attacked by the establishment. He's been chaotic in a good way 
Uh, he has certainly turned uh, politics up on its head in a way that would have not have happened without him. So there has been some good there. Uh, hopefully he'll pay a way for that next guy. And God willing, the next guy will come. Because if you look at the current Republican lot outside of Trump, I mean, they would love to just revert back to weak apathy. And the, the Jeb Bushes of the party. Yeah, they would yeah, love that. Yeah. That's their national. That's their natural, st- you know, state. Their nat- in a natural position, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that you see it in Ireland. And yes, the Irish government saying, you know, well, you know, the big problem here isn't illegal aliens killing our kids. It's people people getting upset, upset about, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They exactly. call, but they call that hate speech. If you're upset about that, it, you know, it's hate speech, of course. Just like if you if you don't support everything Israel's doing wholeheartedly, you're an anti-Semite. Uh, but again, that's fine. I mean, it is what it is. But there is a palpable discontent waiting to be harnessed, a powerful energy. We wait for a charismatic leader to come and and, and put his hands on the reins. But yes, uh, I, I, I don't think we're that far away. And in other places it's happened, and in other places it's happened not entirely too long ago. Uh, and it can happen again. History is cyclical. Yeah, absolutely. It can happen again. It could happen overnight. And you know, it, 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 somebody like a Conor McGregor, even Trump, I think Trump had a lot of potential. To, to do a lot of big time things. I think that potential still remains, although I'm not too hopeful with him based on his, his you know, his, his past uh, record. But there is that potential. The people are waiting for somebody to stand up and tell the truth and put the interests of their own people first for once. And yeah, I, God yes, willing, exactly. that will get there, you know. Go if ahead. Trump really was everything that the media pretends him to be, and I don't even know, I don't know. I mean, the left is obviously mentally unhinged with transgenderism and all of this there's they have so much hatred for whites and for christians i uh i don't know if they really believe that trump's a fascist and a threat to democracy and all of that or if they're just pretending to believe it but whether they do believe it or they don't believe it if trump really was what they say he is uh i could only wish because it wouldn't impede him at all and if he really was all the things that that that, that they said he was I uh, would be much better off for it, and the American people would be better off for it. Uh, but but we'll see. But yeah, it yes, is, gonna, and it is, gonna, by the way, going to take you know uh, some sort of an authoritarian figure to clean up this mess. I mean, I, I've said this before too, in in speeches this year, John. We had a great time in Alabama together uh, at at one of the stops, and just man, we saw an eyeful in Alabama. Went down to Selma. That's all. I think we talked about. I know we talked about it on the political cesspool. I think yeah. we talked about it on here too. Yeah. But uh, but the but the, the, we um, oh what was I going to say about that? I got sidetracked thinking about that trip to Selma. But uh, well, it, I guess I was talking about uh, we, we we are going to need uh, some sort of a strong man to come in. I think no, I know what I was going to say. It's just we need to move past make America great again. I think it is too degenerate, too dysfunctional. There's no social cohesion. The rot is is just too deep. I don't think you can make America great again anymore because there is not one nation here. It's many, many different nations, and that sort of Tower of Babel never works. Uh, I think the best we could do is move on from America and learn from the mistakes, and that's what I'm hoping that will happen, if not in our lifetime, at, at some point uh, before we become South Africa. Uh, that's, the, that's the hope. Yes, sir. Well, James, thank you very much, sir, for taking the time to speak with me today. And thanks for all the great work you do, both for American Free Press and at the Political Cesspool. I wish you a very Merry Christmas, although I think I'll probably talk to you before Christmas. Um, But yeah, no, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's it's always great to catch up. Thanks for taking the time. And as I said, keep up the great work, sir. 
Well, I would just say one last thing. Thank you again, John, and uh, God bless you in the American Free Press. And folks, listen, stay tuned to American Free Press. Now more than ever, what's coming up in 2024 is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. This is the calm before the storm. Enjoy these last couple of weeks before Christmas with your family because there's going to be a lot of upheaval and unrest in this country next year. I don't want it. I, I don't think welcome so. it. But it is – I am telling you it is coming. It is an election year, and tensions are going to be higher than ever. The political stress level is going to be higher than ever. And, of course, what's happening with Trump, no matter where on the spectrum you land, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, he's good, he's bad, he could have done more, could have done less, pros and cons. What's going to happen to him next year is unprecedented in American history. I'm not saying it's something that we haven't seen in our lifetime, although it is something we haven't seen in our lifetime. It is something that has never happened in America, all the way back to Jamestown, where he is facing a thousand years in prison and three separate criminal trials, all in black-run, Democrat-run areas like New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, and Washington, D.C. In the Washington case, he's going to have a, a black female judge from Jamaica <laughs> trying the president. I mean, uh, unbelievable. And he's currently leading in the polls, not just the Republican PAC, but by, but leading Biden, and he never led Biden or Hillary in either 2016 or 2020, and they're trying to put him in, in, in prison for a millennium. Uh, that's a lot of bullets he's got to dodge in a criminally corrupt judicial system that we've got. All of that's coming your way uh, to, a, to a street near you in 2024. So, uh, again, uh, support the American Free Press. You're going to need a, a voice of reason out there. Next year is going to be very, very tough. Um, very, very tough for all of us. Yes, sir. James, well said, sir. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon, buddy. You got it. Thank you, John. Okay. Take care, man. Bye-bye.